But where are the nine? In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria. The propers today for the Mass continue almost, it's almost a perfect continuation of last Sunday, so I won't preach to you the same homily, but hopefully you can remember that in your mind, and if not, I'll, remember, uh, I'll remind you of uh, one or two points. First point from the epistle, again, this uh, tension, let's say, a tension between law and promise, or law and covenant, or law and grace. Okay, same, we had that uh, same tension last week in St. Paul's epistle, so I won't review all of that. Just to remind you that central point there that I tried to make last week was that beware of the false dichotomy or the false opposition between law and promise. It's a false opposition. So many times in our Catholic faith, it's not a matter of either or, but both and. St. Paul today. St. Paul asks rhetorical question. Therefore, is the, le- is the law somehow against the promise of God? Absit. God forbid. No. It's not against So just to recap last week, we recall that kind of a self-justification from external works of the law cannot, is not possible. It's not possible to justify yourself by external works of the law, obviously. Justification, being restored to the status of sons and daughters of God, is only possible by receiving the gift the gift of Jesus Christ himself, the one who is not simply just or a just man, but rather divine justice incarnate itself. So there's no opposition between the law and the promise. Christ said so many times, I am come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Okay, point one. Point two from the Gospel today, and this is the central point of the homily. We'll just go through it a little bit, a little Lexio Divina. At that time, Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. All right, so we have to stop right there. Get your geography straight in your mind. Galilee is in the north. Then Samaria is in the middle, and Jerusalem is in the south. Jerusalem being up on the mountains, you always go up to Jerusalem. Don't think of it as going north like on your GPS, okay? Uh, not that way. We go up to Jerusalem, no matter from which direction we come. You're always going up to Jerusalem. So Christ is going up to Jerusalem. But notice the order. Every word is important. Again, just like last Sunday, this gospel occurs only in St. Luke's gospel, okay? So they're all special, but it makes it extra special. Every word's important. St. Luke, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, passing between Samaria and Galilee. Hmm. If you have your thinking caps on, you're noticing 
St. Luke doesn't present the names of the places in what we would consider a logical order. He doesn't say Christ was going from Galilee to Samaria to Jerusalem. That's not what St. Luke says. It says Christ was passing from Samaria, Galilee, Jerusalem. St. Luke puts that first to kind of shock us because it's not the logical order, so it's out of place. And we see that this gospel really is, in a way, a continuation of the parable of the Good Samaritan from last week's gospel. All right, so we have that. Good. Then, what do the lepers say? Jesus, teacher, have mercy upon us. This recalls, of course, the perfect prayer of the uh, publican, the perfect prayer of the publican. O Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. It recalls also the perfect prayer, the Jesus prayer. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So we see that these ten lepers have the fundamental attitude of prayer. I've mentioned this to you before. I'm just reminding you. It's the fundamental attitude of prayer. Not the self-sufficiency, St. Paul criticized last week. Not self-sufficiency, radical insufficiency of self. Jesus, teacher. Have mercy upon us. So that's the that's the point one within this point two. Okay, fundamental attitude of prayer. Then what does Christ say? Go and show yourselves to the priests. What? I think if you had many options, like on one of those game shows, to give possible responses, you probably wouldn't have picked this one out of the out of the lineup. Hmm? So it's very strange. It's, again, it's an example of the fact that Christ does not oppose the law to himself. The sinners come, they make a perfect confession, and he says to them, go and observe the law of Moses, which, remember from last week, was a ministration of glory. Wow, okay. So, law is not opposed to promise or gift. Well, how does that work? Well, let's... Go back for a second to the today's epistle. St. Paul reminds us that this is a classic passage, it's just beautiful, that the promise was not, the promise that was made to Abraham, the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed, singular, not to Abraham and his seeds all of his offspring, as in many. St. Paul is reinterpreting that old covenant in the light of the coming of the Messiah. Obviously. He's saying that promise which was given to Father Abraham mystically really was a promise given to Christ himself. And so that's how there's no opposition. So similarly, similar to that, uh, there's Not many seeds, but just one seed. So too, as Christ stands there on that hill, in his mind looking to see the temple and the priests there ministering, that's a very interesting tension. Christ's kind of seeing them in his mind. He says, go and show yourself to them. 
So those lepers who had just confessed to the one high priest, there's only one priest, says, go and show yourself to the priests, plural. Again, there's no opposition there. There's no opposition between the one true priesthood of Jesus Christ and the Levitical priesthood, which he himself ordained to continue in his, uh, in his not bodily presence being here, not his absence because he's present. And so there's no tension there also. There ought not to be a tension. Yes. Okay. And then what happens? So we have the perfect confession. We have the instruction given by the one true high priest. And then what happens? And it came to pass, as they were on their way, that they were made clean. Again, you have to go back to your geography lesson that we started with. Jesus was headed south, going up to Jerusalem, and he met the lepers on the way. Okay, so that means Jesus' face is south, the lepers are heading north, and he says to them, go to the temple. Well, where's that? The other way. Eh? So what do they have to do to be made clean? They have to turn around. You might think, well, that's not a very interesting point. Well, I think it is. They have to, the conversio, the turning around, in Greek, metanoia. They're only healed when they're on the way. They turned around. They converted. The metanoia, the conversio, absolutely essential to this whole account. So they turn around on the way, and then they're made clean. Point three. It's such an amazing thing (laughs) that only one of them noticed how amazing it was. Sorry, I'm leaking here. It's the ragweed. Okay, these fingers are clean and they'll be washed again, so... So all ten lepers are healed as they're on the way to Jerusalem. But you know the story. One of them, seeing that he had been made clean, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God. And he fell on his face at the feet of the Lord, giving thanks. It's very beautiful. It's more beautiful in the Greek. I'll get to that in a moment. He returned to give thanks and fell on his face at the feet of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go to the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, celebrated by many of the Eastern Catholic churches. Immediately at the consecration happens, the priest and all of the people do just this. They fall down on the face and touch the forehead to the ground. It's very beautiful. So, 
the man, having been made clean, fell on his face, giving thanks. Of course, in Greek, Eucharistia, the giving thanks. Eucharistia, giving thanks. Okay. Well, obviously, our same English word, loan word, the Eucharist, the gift of Christ himself to us, which is the Son, pardon, the Son giving thanks to the Father for the gift of his sonship, the gift of always, from before time began, being loved and generated by the Father, giving thanks for the created humanity, which he received also from the Father and from the Blessed Virgin as a gift. And so there's that radical, <clears throat> pardon, that radical, the second fundamental attitude of prayer, we'll say it that way, the first one, the radical humility, insufficiency, followed by this attitude, the attitude of thanks, thanksgiving. These are the two fundamental attitudes of the Christian, you could say. So if we do a little examine of conscience now together, and privately, individually, then we can ask ourselves those two points. How am I doing on those fundamental two attitudes of the Christian? to call to humility, to follow uh, Christ in his uh, humbleness, and then think of how many gifts we've received, each one of us, gift of life, gift of baptism, confirmation, the gift, the Eucharist, all many, many more. How often do we fall down on our faces and give thanks to the Lord. God bless you in Ave Maria.